welcome to The Mary Mack Show, where we will be talking about your feelings, experiences, and pain following the death of a loved one. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you find yourself in this entire world, I welcome you. How are you doing, my friend? Are you well? Are you feeling a little lighter? Or are you feeling stuck? Each day, in a small way, I hope you are feeling more joyful, remembering the happier times you spent with your loved one. And I certainly hope that you're consistently writing five things each evening in your journal that you are grateful for. Gratitude is one of the most important components of living a successful life. When we continue to focus on the past or what we don't have any longer, rather than what we do have and all the memories of our loved ones, we can be trapped in a downward spiral instead of living a happier life. Today, I'd like to share with you about the loss of a beloved dog named Joshua. Now, there are many people who don't truly understand the love between a pet and his or her master. Some have never taken on the responsibility of caring for a pet. And frankly, there are others who should never have pets because they don't take the care of their pets seriously, leading to all types of cruelty and sorrow for those pets. I've wanted to share my love for Joshua for a number of weeks now, but the pain of losing him was so difficult that I had to wait until my grief was somewhat more settled within me. Joshua was a Chihuahua and Dachshund mix with the thin legs, long ears, and long tail of the Chihuahua, and the beautiful red-brown coat, long thin body, and long snoot like the Dachshund. For me, when he'd raise his ears when I'd speak to him, he looked just like a deer. He was such a happy fellow and he carried out his duty of protector extremely well. He would bark at anything he heard to alert us. But Joshua wasn't my dog. He first belonged to one of my parents' grandchildren, and after a year he was given to my parents. How I came to know and love Joshua was after I had been thrown off the back of a motorcycle and spent months in the hospital with several surgeries to put me back together and through months of rehab. To complete my rehab and learn to walk again unaided, I needed my family's help and moved to them. That is how Joshua came into my life. Since I spent most of my days in bed, especially in the beginning, he became my constant companion. 
He'd sit on my bed looking out the window and made it his business to snuggle up next to me when I was laying down resting, his long body right up against my thigh. Those were some of the most emotionally and painful times in my life, and he made it all bearable. When I had music on, he'd sing with it. He would also want his bed in the living room, so he'd drag it with his teeth until he found the spot that made him happy. He used to love going for long, even short drives with my father when he needed to run errands. And Joshua would love looking out the windows and singing when the radio was on in the car. Sometimes we'd bring him to the doggy park, which gave me a reason to get some exercise other than physical therapy, and watch him run with the other dogs just having fun. And I'd sit on the bench and he'd intermittently come running back to me to make sure I was okay, and then run back off when I would give him my blessing. Ironically, there is a bridge in the doggy park, and every so often I'd look at it knowing that someday Joshua would cross over the bridge into heaven. But I can't go there just yet. As I grew stronger and could walk again on my own, I'd take him for walks down the block, and he loved it. Josh was a little OCD, and when I'd reach for the dog leash, he would have to walk around the entire dining room table in a path to the door before he was ready for me to put his leash on. I still don't know exactly why he did that right before he was ready to go out, but he did every time, and I always thought it was funny. Later, when I was better and could get my next home, I would often have him come visit me for the weekend, and he just loved it. We both missed each other terribly. He would snuggle next to me on the sofa while we watched television or I was reading. If I got up for a drink, he'd look up at me as if to say, Would you hurry up so you can keep our place warm for me? Or he'd simply follow me into the kitchen and back to the sofa snuggling in just where he liked. Any movement I made, he'd look up, wondering when I would settle in. His expressions were priceless. When he would visit and sleep over, he'd jump on my bed at the end of the day and crawl down under the sheets. I tried to break him of this habit that my parents allowed, but he would have no part of it. He wanted to be next to my thigh, just like he did when I was all broken up and healing. That was his place, and he wasn't changing it now. As the years passed, he grew older, and toward the end of his life, he had many back problems. We first noticed it when he couldn't climb the stairs or come down. I believe he was afraid he'd fall down the stairs. The vet referred us to a doggy chiropractor. I didn't even know they existed. But it helped him considerably for over a year until it didn't. Josh was in a great deal of pain, and you could tell. He gingerly moved about, and if you touched him in a certain way or tried picking him up, he would yowl. It broke my heart to see him in such pain. 
In the last few weeks of his life, in early March of this year, he wasn't eating. And for us dog lovers, we know that is a sign that they have had enough. I remember my Daisy, who was our constant companion while we struggled after the murder of my 11-year-old stepdaughter. She was just like Josh, in the sense she got me through some of the hardest times of my life. Daisy was a black and white Shih Tzu, who followed me from room to room, wherever I moved next. When she was groomed, we'd pull her hair high atop her head with a beautiful, colorful bow. Sometimes red, pink, even purple. She knew how pretty she looked by the regal way she walked outside, showing all the other dogs how special she was. And she was. Both her parents were show dogs, but she was the runt of the litter, and that's why I chose her, because I wanted her to feel just as special as her brothers and sisters. Plus, she was so lively and congregated toward me when we went to see her at the breeders. Soaking wet, she never weighed more than eight pounds. We took Daisy everywhere with us. She traveled so much with us that one day I received an invitation from one of the airlines to open a credit card for her. <laughs> I still laugh when I think of that because I always had to spend $50 back then to have her on board the plane under the seats. And when meals would be served, she would peek out of the netting of her carrier to see the people on the opposite side of the aisle eating and clicking their utensils. And she'd start with her whimpering, and I could still hear her now. She just wanted that food. But one of the funniest things I can tell you about my Daisy was one Friday night. Back then, a television show called Dallas was very popular, and there was no technology which could record or pause shows. If you missed it, you missed it. So we rushed to finish dinner and watched the show in the living room. I didn't have time to clear the table of the ravioli and sauce dinner we had had that night. As we were watching the show, Daisy snuck under the coffee table with her tail down, her whiskers all full of red sauce from ear to ear, with the tail end of the Italian bread in her mouth. <laughs> it seems she jumped on the dining room chair, licked my bowl half clean of the tomato sauce on only one side, and grabbed the little piece of Italian bread I had baked from the towel that held it, since it originally was too warm to cut without it, and went on her merry way thinking we wouldn't see her as she polished off the bread. And she walked really slow with the bread in her mouth from the dining room to under the coffee table, as if somehow she'd be camouflaged. We laugh so much. When Daisy's last months drew near, the vet told us she had congestive heart failure and she would have increasingly harder times breathing. One evening, we came home after having dinner with friends who were in town from out of state. 
We found her panting very hard, with fear in her eyes, as she leaned up next to the kitchen cabinets. That was on Sunday night, and for the next four days, we took turns sleeping, so one of us would always be with her if she passed on. We didn't want her to die alone. The vet told us when they decided to go, they wouldn't take any food or drink, and that's what happened with Daisy. I tried to give her liquids with a dropper, but she would let it drip from her mouth. She had enough, and I needed a bit more time to get up the courage to let her go. On Thursday morning, I called the vet and asked for an appointment. I remember having a long conversation with her, looking her right in the eyes, explaining to her how much we loved her and it was time she was at peace. We would miss her terribly and thanked her for all the joy she brought to our lives and how I especially appreciated what she did to help me get through such a horrific time in my life. It was she who brought all the joy in the home when it was hard to find any. I held her in the vet's office when she was put to sleep and reminded her how much she was loved. We took her home that day to be buried. We had the perfect size box lined with her favorite blanket and placed her in it. Then we wrote goodbye letters and thank you letters to her and tucked them in the box. Since it was January, I still had red Christmas paper with angels on it. So we covered her with the blanket, taped the box closed, and wrapped her in the beautiful red angel paper. We dug a small grave, placed her in it, and we stood there saying the 23rd Psalm from the Bible. We finished the grave so beautifully, and I'm grateful that I know exactly where my daisy girl is. That night, all my relatives came over, and we swapped stories about Daisy, just like a mini-wake. I brought out all her photos, and we really had a nice time. My nieces were quite young then, and they loved Daisy, too. When it was Joshie's time, we handled it much the same way. His back was giving him so much pain, and in early March, he started to refuse food and drink. The chiropractic vet said there wasn't much more that could be done for him. So we waited until Josh was ready. That Saturday, March 14th, he was not doing well at all, and I thought that might be his day, especially since it was the anniversary of my grandmother's death, but it turned out that Sunday, March 15th, was Josh's day to visit Grandma in heaven and leave us forever. He was struggling to move around, and my mother said he hadn't left his bed since the evening before. He wouldn't go out for a walk, either. So we drove over to see him and be with my parents when we brought him to his final vet visit. When I arrived, I could hear him barking for me from outside. He always knew it was me arriving. I could never figure that out, but he did.
And when I walked in, I knew it would be the last time he would greet me, hear his bark, watch his tail wag with delight, snuggle his nose into me, and watched his eyes so excited to see me, along with his snort, as if to say, thanks for visiting me. And somewhere in there was the thought, where the heck have you been? I'd say, oh, I missed you so much, and he'd snort in agreement. He made me laugh so much. My mother was in amazement that he moved from his bed to walk all the way to the door to greet me that day. He definitely was waiting for me. He knew I would make sure he was well taken care of as he moved from this life to the next. I laid down on the living room rug with my face in his bed next to his. He licked my lips and nose. I told him how much I loved him and would miss him just like I said to Daisy all those years earlier. I wanted him to know how much he helped me through such terrible times, and he gave me the most unconditional love anyone can receive. I stroked him, and when I talked to him, I looked him straight in the eyes. We always talked to each other this way, and because of this, I knew he completely understood me. I told him it was time to be with Grandma and Daisy, and they would be there waiting for him, and to make sure he told them that we missed them too. After I said all I wanted to say to him, we left for his final vet visit. They took him into another room, put the catheter in his arm, so they could administer the drugs to put him to sleep. He had a good life, and now we had to say goodbye for his sake, not ours. Releasing someone we love, I believe, is one of the most selfless acts we do as humans. It was a two-step process, and the vet and her assistant, both ladies, were so kind. They told us what would happen, so we weren't surprised. First, they gave Josh something to calm him, and then I held him on the table under his favorite blanket, which I had given him. It was the same exact blanket which he acquired from me when I first came to family years earlier with my broken body needing extensive healing and physical therapy. That blanket was with me during my hospital stay and rehab and it was so soft, and he wanted it, and he kept it, and I couldn't think of a better blanket for him to have right now. When my parents were ready, the vet injected him, which made his body go limp, and I rested him down on the blanket, where shortly thereafter he left us. After the vet confirmed his heart was no longer beating, we all kissed him and told him we loved him. We had told the vet we would be taking him home with us, and they offered to place him in a box. We were so glad, since we had anticipated going to a store to find just the right box to bury Josh. I asked them to put the blanket all around him, and a few minutes later, they did just that. 
When we all arrived back home, David dug a small grave for him, and then we all wrote goodbye notes on beautiful cream-colored note cards that I have with a gold-embossed crown on the cover. I couldn't think of a better card than that. I looked among wrapping papers, which wasn't much, and was pleasantly surprised to find beautiful yellow and pastel-colored paper which said little one on it. I was so happy. I couldn't have found more appropriate paper. When we were ready, we rolled out the paper, but for some reason I just had to open the box and make sure Josh was snuggled in there. So I carefully opened the box, moved the blanket from on top of him, and saw him all curled up just like he did when he was in his bed. Seeing him calmed me, because I just couldn't bury him with the lingering thought that it might not be him in that box. I guess that might sound strange to some, but for me, I had to confirm that. I just did. We wrapped him back up in his blanket, closed the lid, and on the floor, David and I proceeded to carefully wrap the little one pastel paper around his box. Like Daisy, we buried Joshi and said the 23rd Psalm together. We all took turns adding some dirt to his grave, and then the rest was set. A couple evenings later, I had a dream where I saw my grandmother, followed by Daisy and Joshua, walking along together. When I woke up, I cried. I was so thankful that they were there to greet him and welcome him into their lives. I'm happy he will be well taken care of now, and I look forward to seeing them all when it's my time. Grieving the loss of pets can mean so much more than we think. And we must honor the feelings and sorrow which their death brings in our lives. I will miss you forever, Joshi. So now it's time to get up and move our bodies and dance. And while some may think it might be a little strange, I want you to do it anyway, okay? listening in today. Remember to write five things in your journal each evening that you are grateful for. Visit my website marymac.info for your free book. Please subscribe, rate, and review my podcast wherever you listen to me. And share with those who will benefit from it. And as always, remember to be happy because you deserve to. I'll speak to you again soon.